months. 2020 is in the rearview mirror. Praise God for that, huh? Can you believe it? Now, from what I've been reading on social media and various blogs, uh, most of us are pretty happy to see 2020 go bye-bye. I mean, it started off pretty well, and then about March 11th or so, everything we thought we could count on as normal pretty much went out the window. But with the passing of 2020, we now welcome a brand new year, 2021. I'm not a big fan of resolutions, unless you're talking about Jonathan Edwards' 70 resolutions, which are simply outstanding. Actually, I think there's 72 of them. But most of us would have a pretty hard time living up to just one of those for an entire year, let alone 72 of those. So I'm um, not a big fan of resolutions. However, I am a big proponent about looking back at the previous year and reflection and reflecting. Because each passing year provides with us an opportunity to reflect upon those things that we sure wish we would have done a lot different. And perhaps looked at those mistakes or things that you, you wish you would have done differently and then corrected. And it also provides an opportunity to see where your investments of your time and your energy had a very positive result as well. Perhaps some of you, despite what was going on globally, had some amazing developments in your life. Maybe there was an engagement or a wedding or the birth of a child or a grandchild. Maybe you started a new job, graduated college, bought your first house. But for others, absolutely nothing went your way in 2020. Perhaps your job was eliminated or there was a huge reduction in hours or salary. Or maybe you had family issues with your spouse or your children or your in-laws that created some real tension last year. For others, it might have been more of a physical battle with sickness or disease or perhaps even an emotional struggle with anxiety or depression, I can tell you from a pastoral perspective that there has been a sharp tick or a sharp increase in counseling this past year. And much of it is related to this sense of hopelessness that has been festering throughout this entire year. And many of those that have experienced those emotions have told me that seems, it seems like things are not going to get better. And they're wondering where God is in all of this. Why hasn't he been there for me? Why hasn't he just fixed this for me? Am I left here to fend all alone for myself? God, where are you? Well, my friends, if that description is closer to how you would describe your past year, then I want to walk through scripture with you remind you of someone who faced something very similar. And yet, despite the hopelessness that seemed to be perpetually around him, he actually had his hope restored. And his name was Moses. Now, we've looked at Moses' life before, haven't we? We looked pretty much in depth in his life in the study of Hebrews. So we're going to move a little quicker through our text here today so we cover a little more ground. So turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. 
way back, second book of the Bible. We want to refresh our memory a little bit about the life of Moses here, and then we want to make some applications here at the end. Next week, we'll, res we'll return to our study in First Peter, but for now, I want to take a little time at the beginning of the year and just make some observations and some reflections. Well, hopefully you found yourself in the book of Exodus now, chapter 2. Let's go to the Lord of Prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for your tremendous grace. sounds really good. I hope those listening via live stream are really hearing this. But rather, Lord, we would say, oh, Father, what would you have me do with this? How can I apply this to my life in a way that brings you honor and glory? That is our desire this morning, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. So let's look here at Exodus chapter 2. 2 verse 1 and I want to read let's read the first 10 verses shall we now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi the woman conceived and bore a son and when she saw that he was beautiful she hid him for three months but when she could hide him no longer she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch and she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile his sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her, at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile. And she saw the basket among the reeds, and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, "This is one of the Hebrews' children." Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, "Shall I go and call a nurse for you?" from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for him. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, Because... So we have a man here, from uh, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, and they have a son, a beautiful son, the text tells us. But Pharaoh, fearing that the Israelites uh, would become mightier than the Egyptians, has issued an edict that all male children are to be killed by the midwives. But Moses' mom, wanting to save her child, places him in a basket of wicker, 
covers it with pitch and tar and floats him down the Nile River. She had her daughter follow the basket along the shoreline to keep an eye on the baby boy. And by God's providence, the child floated near where Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe. So she sent her maid to retrieve the basket, and Pharaoh's daughter opens the basket, sees that it's a Hebrew child. She takes him as her, to her house as his own. She then right, she seeks out Moses' mother, pays her to nurse and take care of her. So at this point, my friends, Moses' life seems like it's moving along pretty good, isn't it? I mean, he was born into slavery, and now he's going to be living in Pharaoh's palace, raised by Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, he had the absolute very best that the world had to offer him. He had 24-7 care and nurturing. He had the best education in the world, and he was treated like royalty. What a far cry from a slave born into slavery in Egypt at that point in time. Doesn't sound too bad, does it? 24-7 care, nurturing, servants at your feet, waited on hand and foot certainly seem to be lacking for nothing in this life, at least by worldly standards. Life is pretty good for Moses. But then something unexpected happens as we read in verses 11 to 15. So let's pick up our narrative there. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he had saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other, and he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Well, in the span of just a couple days, my friends, everything in Moses' life changed like that. Despite the movie The Ten Commandments portrayal, it appears that Moses is very aware of his Hebrew heritage. So one day as he's walking through the fields where the Hebrew slaves are working, he witnesses an Egyptian. Notice the word brethren early on in our text there. Beating a Hebrew slave who he calls a brother. And he killed that Egyptian, then hit him in the sand. Now the text doesn't tell us what Moses was thinking. But the fact that he hid the boy in the sand would seem to indicate that he had some level of understanding that for what he wasn't doing, what he was doing was not right might have felt righteous about it, but he knows it's not right as he tries to hide the body. Verse 13 and 14, the very next day, he's breaking up a fight between two Hebrew men, and as he tries to break it up, one of the men lets him know that they're aware that he killed the Egyptian the day before. Clearly, not only were these two guys aware of it, but now Pharaoh is aware of it as well, which means that Moses So he fled to the land of Midian, which is in the middle of the desert. 
Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, won't you? In two days' time, Moses went from everything is just great to what in the world just happened. I mean, the easy life in Pharaoh's palace, oh, that's gone. That's, that's bye-bye. The 24-7 care and nurturing, oh, that's gone too. All the resources of the most powerful nation in the world at that time, oh yeah, that's gone. That's out. Everything that was normal, and I'm sure he assumed would stay that way for him, was just turned completely upside down and placed on its head. In fact, it doesn't get real good for Moses for another 40 years. 40 years. Let's pick it up here in verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water that and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, Why have you come back so soon today? So they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Where is he then? Why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughters and Korah to Moses. She then gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now, I know that Moses gets married here. He has a son, so, but he's also went from leading from one of the leading men as the prince of Pharaoh to leading sheep around the desert for four decades. I'm sure what was that was not what he was planning to be his new normal. I'm sure that wasn't in the time. If he had to list a hundred things of what he thought he'd be doing the next 40 years, from where he was at in life, Caring for sheep and goats in the middle of the desert probably didn't make the top 100. I'm just going to speculate here. And all of that nursing, all of that uh, nurturing, all of that grooming for leadership, all of that education, and now he's running around chasing smelly goats around a desert for the next four years. That had to be kind of a gut punch for Moses, don't you think? Maybe your 2020 was very similar to Moses. Now, I don't mean that you were being raised in a palace or you're chasing sheep around the desert. But what I mean is that maybe you can think that it was not that long ago when things were a lot different than they are today. I'm old enough to remember pre-March 11th, 2020, and I can tell you that life did seem a little easier back then. Would you agree? Maybe your change didn't occur over a two-day period like Moses did, but it sure seemed like things changed very rapidly for us. That's for sure. There's no doubt that you have had to do some things that you didn't think you'd ever have to do. And you've also been denied access to things that you assume would always be there. Perhaps like Moses, you've had to make some decisions that you regretted, no matter how well-intentioned they might have been. Maybe some events happened that had nothing to do with you, but they still brought about some significant change in your life. 
Perhaps you too are beginning to feel like you are wandering around in a desert like Moses, except your desert is not a physical desert, it's a spiritual desert you are facing. You're beginning to feel like a hamster on the wheel of hopelessness, and you're not sure how to get off of that thing. Doubts and concerns are creeping in as Satan is exploiting every opportunity to question God's faithfulness and love for you. And you're starting to ask yourself more and more every day, where is God in all of this? Was the life I had before all of the big changes of 2020 as good as it was ever going to get for me? I mean, is that it, God? Was I, did I hit my peak pre-March 11th? Is there any chance that my new normal will ever look anything like it did before March 11th, 2020? Well, I want you to know, my friends, that Moses' story isn't over yet either. Despite all of the challenges he has faced in many ways, his life is just beginning. He's going to come face to face with the living God, and Moses' life will never, ever be the same afterwards. God is going to move in Moses' life in ways that he never anticipated. And it's going to be challenging for him, but in a very good way. God is going to stretch him and grow him in ways far better than what Pharaoh's daughter, or perhaps even Pharaoh himself, would have had in mind for Moses. You see, God's plan is always better, and as difficult as that is for him to see right now, Moses' new normal will be far better than any other point in his life up to now. So let's pick up our narrative one more time in verse 23. Chapter 2. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out in their cry for help because their bondage rose up to God. And so God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up? And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmaster, taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, 
to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite, the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Well, here are some applications that I want you to take from our narrative here today as we reflect upon this past year when we begin a new month. Here's the first thing I want you to remember. That just because your life has changed does not mean that God has changed. Just because your life has changed does not mean God has changed. Although Moses' life has changed dramatically, the God who is sovereign over all things has not changed. In fact, he cannot change. God was still sovereignly in control over all the events of Moses' life, even if Moses wasn't so sure anymore. But that encounter at the burning bush left no doubt that there were still many things that Moses was yet to accomplish for God. So Moses, after this encounter from God, heads back to Egypt, but this time he's going back to Egypt with a different perspective, isn't he? This time, instead of running in fear, he's going to demonstrate that he is now a prophet of the Lord's message. This time, he will demonstrate all of this as the power of God works in and through him to accomplish God's will in his life. Pharaoh will eventually relent, and Moses will lead God's people out of Egypt to the promised land. And he will meet and speak with God in the tent of meetings, and he will be called a friend of God. But what happened? Was it really just some cursory glance at a mountaintop we thought was a burning bush that radically changed Moses' life from what seemed mired in hopelessness to now leading millions across the desert in the power of the Lord? Did Moses literally just stumble upon God's presence in the burning bush, or is there something else going on here? How did Moses go from a couple really bad events in his life to a man that's now totally immersed in accomplishing God's will? Here again, I, my friends, I think we can draw some similar applications to our own struggles in 2020. Maybe you too seemed clobbered by some drastic changes last year that sent you it could have been changes in careers or changes in job locations or family. Or perhaps it was just the constant isolation that led you into the spiritual desert in 2020. And may I encourage you that although you may have experienced many changes in your life, the God of the universe has not changed, my friends. His word is still true. His promises are still kept. His love for you has never faded, and his faithfulness is as steadfast as it always has been, and it always will be. Just because your life has experienced some change last year does not mean that God has changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, 
today and what? Forever. When you go through a difficult time in your life, may I encourage you to seek his refuge. He is our rock. He is our refuge, and his mercies are new every morning. And the life of Moses is a wonderful example of someone who could have given up in the midst of a spiritual desert. He could have given up hope. He could have considered his life over with all the adversity he was facing. But instead, God heard the cries of his people, and he knew exactly who he needed to send to accomplish his will. Moses didn't need to wonder if God was there. My friends, God is omnipresent. He is always there. Always there. One encounter, one refresher with the Lord and Moses was engaged and energized to embark on this new path. One encounter. One humbling before the Lord God Almighty. One taking off his sandals and realizing he's on holy ground and bowing before Lord God Almighty and saying, Lord, here I am. Send me. Now, he has some doubts later, doesn't he? But at that moment, my friends, he's not thinking of those doubts. He's just thinking, I'm in the presence of God, and he knows my name. some significant changes in your life this last year does not mean that God has changed. You need not wonder if God is there for you. He's always there for you. And if there were changes in your walk in 2020 and God cannot change, then perhaps the change that has occurred has not been his abandonment of you, but rather your abandonment of just because your life has changed does not mean that God has changed. Okay, let's make a couple quick more applications before we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper this morning. Here's the second one I want you to walk away with. Just because you wonder where God is does not mean that he ever left you. I often hear people come into counseling, they'll make a statement like, and where was God in this? Am I invisible to him? Can he not hear my cries? Can he not see the pain and suffering this past year has brought upon our family? Has God lost me in all of this? My friends, God can never lose you. In the midst of all those difficult changes last year, I assure you, he was with you every step of the way. He saw all that pain and suffering, just like he did when the Israelites were in slavery. He heard their cries, every one of them. He saw every tear. He knows the struggles that you're facing. He's not some distant marble statue. He's the God of the universe, and he knows your name. He knows everything that you're experiencing. He knows the thoughts that you're having, and he knows exactly what you need in your time of suffering. Here's where I want you to remember wherever you go 
or whenever you go through a difficult trial like we just did last year, a year filled with unexpected challenges and changes to new normals that are anything but normal to us, remember this, beloved, you are not alone. You are not alone. God has promised to never leave you nor forsake you. He sent his Holy Spirit to indwell you so that you could know his presence was always there with you. You have the truth of his word and the promises that he's made that can never be changed. When you have Jesus Christ, you are never alone. Why did God allow all of this to happen in 2020? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But here's what I do know. I could choose to believe the lies of the devil that God has abandoned me, or I can choose to believe God and the truth of his word. His word tells me that I'm precious in his sight and that he delights in me. His word tells me that those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. His word tells me that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. What is God's purpose for you? That you would be conformed more and more into the image of his son. That you'd become more and more like Jesus and less and less like you. Beloved, you are not alone. He is with you. He is working in you and through you to accomplish his will. And just because your life has changed does not mean that God has changed. And point number two, just because you wonder where God is does not mean he's ever left you. Our last point, as long as you have God, my friends, you are never without hope. 2020 may have been an disaster for you, but remember God is still sovereign over all things. And as long as Jesus arose from the grave, and he did, you have hope. You may not have had the kind of year you expected. You may have had change upon change last year that rocked your world. But if you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior, my friends, you still have hope, and that hope is everlasting. Just like Moses has a new beginning when he encountered God in the middle of a desert, you too can have a new beginning. One that's energized and engaged through the power of the Holy Spirit in the middle of your spiritual desert where you're at right now. You need only to respond to God as Moses did and humble yourself and submit to his will. We can either be mired down in the events of 2020 and wander aimlessly around a spiritual desert, or we can remember that we're a child of the king and that God is sovereign over all things, and you are precious in his sight, and that you have hope everlasting. And how you approach 2021, what your mindset, where you place your heart is going to determine how effectively God is able you see, if Moses had just wandered around that desert and given up and said, okay, I guess this is it for me. Smelly goats and sheeps wandering around the desert. It looks like I'm going to finish this thing out. Would God have used him still? I don't know. But that's not what happened, is it? Because God. Because God. 
Just because your life has changed does not mean that God has changed you. Just because you wonder where God is does not mean he ever left you. And as long as you have God, my friends, you are never alone. That's what I